So I want you to know that there's one person that loves God more than any of the rest of us do, and that's his mama. Because nobody sees you as much as your mama. Nobody knows you like your mama does. Nobody loves you like mama. I mean, think about it. She carried him in her womb for nine months. She birthed him in a stable. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She nursed him. She put him to bed at night. She kissed his boo-boos. She taught him how to feed himself and how to walk and how to talk. She laid eyes on him more than anybody else ever in the face, on the face of the earth, man. Oh, this mighty woman of God that loved our Savior in a way that we can't even imagine. After nurturing him all this time, oh, how she must have been blessed by him. And oh, how she must have hurt. Oh, the pain she must have experienced. I, I, I can't even imagine. You know, it took us eight years to have our first child. And, uh, you know, a lot of you guys know this story, but, but the doctors told us that it was an impossibility, that we would never have children, that because of a, a kind of a health condition that I have, that I'd never be able to father children. And they also told Angela because of a health condition that she has, uh, that she'd never be able to mother children. So when we came together, we had to have that conversation and be like, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have this relationship. We want it to last our whole life long, but, you know, we'll probably never be able to have a family. And uh, we talked about, you know, um, adoption and, and all fostering and all the different things. And that was a, you know, a goal to add sometime in the future. Um, and then uh, out of a miraculous work of God, you know, he just did what he does, man, and provided more than we could have ever imagined him to provide. And when we found out she was pregnant, we were overjoyed. I mean, it was a miracle, like a literal miracle that you can see and hear and, and, and just experience. And we found out that she was pregnant when our house burned down, and I still go back to that moment, and I'm not really sure if that was an attack from the enemy that tried to kill us and our unborn, unborn son, or maybe if it was a blessing from God to be able to let us know that he was there and, and help us to escape you know, from the nightmare that we had created in that. But whatever it was, I know this without a shadow of a doubt, that God uses all things. I, I know that without a shadow of a doubt, and you can take that to the bank, and that's something you can count on right here in the midst of this pandemic that we're in, that God uses all things. And maybe you think that he didn't cause it, or maybe you think that he brought us on it or whatever, but I, it doesn't matter. What matters is that God uses all things. Man, and he used that. And, and, and we had this perfect, amazing baby boy, and, and he was wonderful, and he was such a blessing, and I've never seen that kind of love you know, poured out that, that my wife especially had for this baby. And I love my son more than anything else in the world, but the love that she had for him was just something, you know, something else. Something else. And then when the doctors told us that there was something wrong with his heart, the devastation that I saw on her face was incredible. And, and I hurt. I hurt. But the pain that I saw in her eyes was something else. Some, something more when they told us that he had a heart deformity and that you know, there could be a big problem. It was, it was devastating to her when, when she knew that there was something wrong. When she had an expectation of suffering that he was going to have to endure, the pain that I saw in her eyes was spectacular. Now, my son's been radically healed by the power of God. His heart beats just like it's supposed to. The, the day that he was healed, powerful woman of God laid hands on him and, and the glory of God shone and, and he was completely and radically healed. You know, Psalm 51 
God created a new heart within him and renewed a right spirit within him. Somebody say amen. And we've been delivered from that kind of pain. But Mary, she, she wasn't delivered from that. You see, we asked the question at Christmas time, Mary, did you know? Yes, yeah, she knew. She knew. She knew it all. She understood what had to happen. She knew who she was dealing with, and she knew what the plan for his life was. She knew. And so even in the immense joy that she had experienced in connecting with him, there was always that cloud that was hanging over her head. Would you guys stand with me for the reading of God's Word today? We are actually going to pick up right where we left off last week in the book of Acts, in chapter 1 and verse 12. And the Bible says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. A Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, as Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Would you guys pray with me? God, we come before you today united. We come before you today expecting your Holy Spirit just as they were expecting your Holy Spirit. As we stand secluded and separated, you know, from our church body, as we stand, you know, in our homes, kind of separated from the places where we would like to be, God, we unite in prayer and we expect a movement, a pouring out, an emergence of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our country, God. Lord, let us be like Mary. Let us be like Mary, right there in the midst, united in prayer, devoted to her Son and our God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And let's just give him a shout of praise, can we? Uh, and you may be seated. <laughs> yes, uh, I need somebody to yell besides Brent. Uh, <laughs> thank you, brother. Thank you. That is awesome. Hey, she was still there. So that, that's the biggest part I want you to draw from this scripture that I just read. She was still there. His mama was still there. As the disciples gathered for prayer, she was right there with them. Now, she could have went and curled up and been depressed in all her loneliness since her son was gone away. She could have been mad at the disciples because they abandoned him and betrayed him. She could have been bitter with God because of the suffering that her son went through, went through, and then that she only got to spend a very limited amount of time with him. And yet, she did none of those things. She did none of those things. She's right here in the midst of them being about her son's business. My God, if we could all just put aside our bitterness, if we could put aside our apathy, if we could put aside the own pain, our own pain and selfishness that we're feeling within us and just be about her son's business, what kind of a world would we live in then? If we could just be about Jesus' business in this moment, man, what kind of a world, what kind of a church, what kind of families would we have if we could put ourselves aside and be about the business of Jesus Christ? Man, what kind of a world will we live in? Man, we just need to be like Mary. 
And I'm not talking about some Catholic divinity, angelic Mary. No, I mean the real deal. I mean this woman that was strong and yet kind. I mean this woman that was sorrowful and yet she believed. She believed in her son and her God. And they just happened to be the same person. And yet she believed. What a powerful woman of God. What an incredible example that we can live by. That she went through all this pain, all this suffering, and then at the end, there she is, right there, on her knees, right beside everybody else, crying out to God and expecting a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, just waiting for His glory to fall. Just waiting, expecting for His glory to fall. In the book of John, in chapter 19 and verse 25, the Bible says Mary stood near the cross of Christ. In verse 26, it says, and Jesus saw her there. We think that we've hurt in our lives, don't we? We do. We think that we've hurt. We, we, we think that we've hurt because, you know, people, human beings betrayed us. We, we think that we've hurt because sickness has, you know, taken the lives of people in our lives. We, we think that we have hurt because of X, Y, and Z things that have happened in our mortal lives. We think that we've hurt. Can you imagine standing and looking up at a Roman cross and seeing your child not sick, not injured, not just arrested, mutilated, completely abandoned. And about to be murdered right in front of your face. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Can you imagine the pain? How could a human heart even endure that kind of pain? How could a human being even comprehend that kind of suffering? As she stands and looks up at him, barely recognizable because of what he's been through, with the crowd standing around cheering on his demise, can you imagine the pain as this crowd had chanted for him to be crucified and they've spit on him and thrown things at him and mocked him? And she knows in her heart what's happening right now. She knows that he's doing it all for them and they're throwing it back in his face. And she sees the pain in his eyes and she sees the pain in his heart. And she had known this was coming the whole time. I'll present that to you today. She had known this was coming. And now her worst fear is realized. And at the very same time, her greatest blessing is received. But isn't that the way that it happens most of the time in our lives? At the moment of our greatest fear is when the greatest movement of God happens in our lives. At the moment of our greatest pain is when the greatest healing of God takes place in our life. At the moment when we think all is lost and darkness has enclosed us, all of a sudden the light of God explodes and the power of His love is shown and we're redeemed and restored and empowered. And yet, 
And yet, even the promise of His glory doesn't take away the sorrow of this moment. You see, Mary had been called to tend to the Lamb. She'd been called to tend the Lamb. See, in the book of Luke in chapter 2, as the shepherds came and shared with Mary all that the angels had told them, the, the Bible says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and she pondered them. Now that word treasured makes it seem like it's a good thing. She treasured them. Really, the, the better translation in the Greek is that she hoarded them. Right? She hoarded the thoughts. Like everything they were saying, she was listening to. And she hoarded them and she pondered it. You ever overthink stuff? You ever get a little information then all of a sudden gears start turning? Yeah? Stand in the shower and tell the shampoo bottles what you should have said. I was thinking, or you're driving down the road and you're, you know, talking to the air freshener that's hanging on your mirror. Like, yeah, they're lucky that I didn't think of this then. But she's hearing what these people are saying. These shepherds are saying, Messiah. These shepherds are saying, save from their sins. And she's hoarding these thoughts and she's pondering them. She knows about the Messiah. She's read Isaiah 53. She's holding this little baby in her arms. All of us have held a little baby. They're so innocent. And they're so sweet and they're so gentle. And they're so perfect. And she's holding this little baby in her arms. And she knows that He must be pierced for our transgressions. And she knows that He must be crushed for our iniquities. She knows that He is going to be destroyed for her sins and for ours. You see, she's the one that has to tend the Lamb in the book of Exodus in chapter 12, the, the Bible tells us that as the Passover was about to happen, that the families were, go, were to go and to get the lamb that was going to be the sacrifice on the 10th day of the month and to bring it into their home. And then to keep it in their home and to tend to it until the 14th day of the month. So in those four days, this, this lamb was to become part of their family and they were to tend to this lamb and they were to grow to care for this lamb. And, and, and they were to take care of it and to wash it and to, and to feed it and to maintain it for these four days. And this was to prepare the lamb for the sacrifice, but also to prepare the family for the sacrifice. And then on the 14th day of the month, when they had to sacrifice the lamb, and it was by the blood of the lamb that they were to be saved, and they were to be redeemed and restored and not taken by the angel of death, by the blood that was smeared on their doorposts. And so Mary, in the same vein, is given the job to tend the lamb. Not the lamb for her family, but the lamb for us all. It's her job to tend the lamb. And so for 33 years, she tends to the lamb. For 33 years, she nurses him. And she feeds him. And she bathes him. And she teaches him how to grow up and how to toddle and how to talk.
and had to do all the things that children have to learn to do. She tended to the lamb. She tended to the lamb and she knew what was coming. And how do I know? Man, Luke chapter 2, the Bible says this, that, that Simeon saw, they, they brought him to the temple. And, and, and Simeon saw him there and, and he said this, Sovereign Lord, as you had promised, now you may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then he said to Mary, this child will be the cause of falling and rising for many. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. But a sword will pierce your own soul. She knew what was coming. She loved him so much and yet this pain had to be welling up inside her. She, she knew what had to be done to serve God. She knew what had to happen if she was going to live out her destiny and His. And yet, only a mother's love could come against the love of God. Do you know that she tried to stop it? Oh yeah. Mother Mary, full of grace, tried to doom us all to hell because of her love for her son. Not her God, but her son. In Mark chapter 3, the Bible says that Mary and Jesus' brothers came to get him. And the family out, he's out of his mind. But she knew better. She knew exactly who he was. And she knew exactly what was required of him. But she tried to stop it. Because for just that moment, her love for her child overwhelmed the love that she had for God. The love that she had for the baby boy that she bounced on her knee tried to overcome the calling that God had put on her life and on his life. She tried to stop it. That's how powerful a mother's love is, that they would come directly against the will of God. That they would stand up to God and say, No! No! Not him! No! I'm getting him and I'm taking him home! This whole thing is over. And yet in the end, she surrendered. In the book of Luke, in chapter 11, Jesus was teaching the people on prayer and He was teaching them on, on, on demonic battles and on spiritual warfare. And a woman cried out from the crowd and she said, Blessed is the woman who nursed you and raised you. And Jesus said, No. No, rather blessed is the one that believes the Word of God and receives it. Mary's greatest blessing was not that she carried the Word of God in her womb, but that after He was born, that she received the Word in her heart and believed it. Was she blessed because she got to carry the Savior? Sure she was. She was more blessed because she believed His Word. She was more blessed because she received what He was saying and what He was teaching. Luke chapter 1 verse 45 says this, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to uh, her. 
So was she blessed that she had carried the Lord? Sure she was. Sure she was. But not nearly as blessed as she was when she believed in him and put her faith in him and surrendered to the one that is her son, but more importantly, is her God. She surrendered everything. She surrendered her womb. She surrendered her family. She surrendered her marriage. She surrendered her reputation. She surrendered all the future plans that she had. She surrendered her life. And she surrendered her soul to the power of God. And by her act of surrender, she stands as a testament to who every single one of us should be and must be if we are to call ourselves the disciples of Christ. Because regardless of what inconvenience that it causes us in our life, regardless of whatever pain that we experience as we move towards His glory, regardless of whatever obstacle that we have to carry His cross across, we are called to be the people of God. We are called to surrender everything that we are or will ever be to His cross and to His grace and to His throne of glory. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And every single one of us needs to be just like Mary. Just like Mary. And not some Catholic divinity Mary. No, I mean a real woman that had plans and hopes and dreams and failures and moments of pain. And yet still, in the end, here she is. Here she is on her knees, gathered around the disciples, unified with them in prayer, asking that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them and empower them and sit them about the business of Jesus Christ. Can somebody, anybody say amen? That's who we're called to be. That's who we are called to be. Just like this woman, devoted and focused on Son and our God. Because as powerful as a mother's love is, it's nothing in comparison to the love of God shown to us in His Son, Christ Jesus, our King and our Lord. Oh, this mighty woman of God that we could be like her. That we could be like her, even as the whole world has fallen down around us. After the, the, the pain and the tears of his crucifixion, after the momentary joy and peace of his resurrection, now is when the real work begins. And that's where we find her. That's where we find her. And they were all continually. United in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In the book of Luke, in chapter 1, Mary sings us a song. It's called the Magnificat, the song of Mary, the ode to Theotokos. 
And it says this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Let us not worship Mary as some do. But rather, let us emulate her and worship her son and her God that just happened to be one. Let us put aside all of our selfishness let us put aside all of our desires. Let us put aside all of our bitterness and all of our pain. Swiping it aside. So that we can fully surrender. Let us repent of our rebellion. Let us repent of the times that we try to take it back. Because even though we may love the lambs that God has given us to tend, the lamb was never for us. And even though He gives them to us to shepherd for a little while, they were never for us. It's always been for Him. Everything in your life is for Him. Your marriage should be devoted to your God. Your children should be devoted to your God. Your home should be devoted to your God. Your finances should be devoted to your God. Every moment that ticks on the clock of your life should be devoted to your God. And as much as we love the life that He gives us, it's His. And as much as we've taken ownership of the Lamb that He's given us to tend, it's His. It's always been His to do with as He pleases. And whatever He decides to do with it, 
it's better than anything that we could have come up with. Even if it doesn't make sense to you. You know in the moment of Passover there were children in those homes going, No! No, that's our lamb. It's our pet. We love, we love this lamb. Don't take it. And can you imagine Mary's pain? As she finally decided, James, boys, let's go get your brother. And let's bring him home. Let's bring him home. Let's not let go. Let's not let go. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to in your life. Maybe there's something you're holding on to in your life just as desperately as you can grasp onto it. Let it go. Give to God what belongs to God. Release what you've been holding on to. Release your expectations. Release your anger. Release your bitterness. Release your shame. Release your guilt. Release your pride. Release your legalism, man. Release your debauchery. Let it go. Release your hold on your activities. Release your hold on your thoughts. Release your hold. Let it go. When those families in the book of Exodus gave that lamb over to God, it saved them, it released them, it emerged them into a kingdom. When Mary released the lamb that she'd been given to tend, it brought salvation to us all. What's God going to do with you? Once you let it go. Once you let it go. And you finally join in with what the body of Christ, the real body of Christ is actually doing. When you leave it all behind and you come to that upper room. And you kneel amongst the brothers and the sisters. Devoted. Focused. Unified in prayer. With your only expectation being the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. What happens then? That's when we become the body. And once we become the body, we emerge as the kingdom. Can somebody say amen? So today, in this time of altar call, wherever you're at, let your couch be an altar to the living God. Let your steering wheel be an altar to the living God. Let your hospital bed be an altar to the living God. Let your jail cell be an altar to the living God. Let your front porch be an altar to the living God. Man, let your coffee cup be an altar of the living God.
and release your lamb. The thing you value most in your life. Release your lamb.